With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome everybody to episode 17 of the Two Pad Stack podcast, brought to you in partnership with Primetime Productions and our friends over at SeatGeek. If you are looking for a ticket for an event around town, whether it's sports, drama, whatever, uh, concert, um, check out SeatGeek. We can save you 20 bucks off your first purchase on the app when you use our promo code 2PADSTACKPOD. That's number 2 P A D S T A C K POD. Uh, I'm your host. I'm Ace. Nice to uh, chat with you all again. Um, alongside me is our legendary co-host, Eric Burge, the goalie. Burgess, how's it going today, Burge? Oh, you know, great day. Great day to be in to talk some hockey with you. Looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, just doing the whole dad that dad thing today, watching my little infant boys getting hurled on right before we came down and uh, recorded this episode. So you know how that all goes. How you doing today? I'm all right, dude. I'm 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 coming off. I know I mentioned it a little bit when we were hanging out there. I've got like some lingering cold thing. So hopefully mm-hmm. I didn't give it to you when we were hanging out. But uh I am still coming off of it. I've got like this crap hanging out in my lungs and I can't my my daughter's like, Dad, when you when you cough, you sound like a donkey, like that hee haw noises <laughs> that that they make. Like hee haw. Like it's kind of look like one too. Awful. <laughs> yeah, thanks, dude. I appreciate that. It's the nose. They got the bread marsh in those. <laughs> um but yeah, he's uh, it, it's it hasn't been a, a fun week from that perspective. My wife's like, man, when you get sick, like you go hard, like you get sick. And I've been uh, I've been banished um, to the uh, the spare bedroom due to my snoring being so bad. So I scared <laughs> the crap out of my oldest daughter when I uh, came upstairs from the uh, third bedroom, fourth bedroom um and she didn't know i was down there so she's sitting on the couch all ready for school and then i emerge still in my (laughs) post-sleep fog and she about crapped herself she's like holy crap dad i didn't even know you were down there so that's great uh, it's kind of funny kind of funny um been a decent week here uh for the bees they're continuing their strong start to the season um with a little bit of a wrinkle to it so we'll go ahead and uh break down what happened in the previous week here in the world of the Boston Bruins. Um, And then we'll also take a peek at what's coming down the pipe here for the next week. So um, right off the bat, um, we'll start with uh, last Monday, which the game technically happened uh, before our episode dropped, but we had not really broken it down. So we'll talk about that game against the Dallas stars. Um, 
it seemed like it was a night of firsts there. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, had a couple firsts. Uh, Johnny Beecher with his first NHL goal. Um, an absolute beauty shot Beautiful. against a really good goaltender. Um, short side. And then uh, our suddenly number one, you know, first pair defenseman, Mason Lorai, gets his first NHL goal as well. Um, what were your thoughts on that that game against Dallas, Birch? Uh, I I didn't expect it. I know when we recorded, we both had some some hesitations about how the team was going to look going into this game. They proved both of us wrong. They made us look both foolish. Um, yeah, they came out quick start. It was awesome to see Johnny Beecher and Mason Lorai get their first goals. That was that was huge. Uh, Jeremy Swayman was on point in this game. I think he's the sole reason that they were able to you know pull it off. They they did have some moments in this game where they had some lapses. And we'll get into that, you know, as we talk about the next couple of games here, too. But, yeah, he was on point, kept them in the game. One of those situations, they allowed a late, a goal, a late goal. I think it was in the last minute of the game where it was like, oh, boy, are we going to do this whole thing again with them blowing a game in the last minute or two? Good thing they didn't. They end up closing it out. I thought they were outplayed. You know, I, the shots were 37 to 29 in favor of of, of the Stars. Their goaltending, you know, which is what this team has been built, is going to win help them win games throughout the year showed up and that's how, how they ended up winning this game. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was kind of interesting that you mentioned that because I mean, just uh, the night that you and I were at the garden, Milan Lucic was in the booth with Nesson mm-hmm. and he was talking to Jack Edwards and Andy Brickley about how he thinks that this team is built and, and what is their identity. And, and Lucic said, you know, we're a checking team that can score. We're a check first team. We've got great goaltending, great defending, and when we do get our chances, we're doing right now a good job of making them count. Um, he was saying that he thinks that the the Bruins forwards have another level that they can get offensively as they continue to build, you know, uh, chemistry and they uh, have a better understanding of the system and how they can work with those lines. Um, but I, I mean that that echoes what we've been saying since day one, uh, especially regarding the the Boston Bruins and how they're assembled for this year. Um, Berge and I had said, you know, this is going to be a team that's going to have to, you know, be in a dogfight and, and really, you know, fight their way to and grind their way to creating dirty goals. It's not going to be that Harlem Globetrotter style offense where every other pass ends up being a one-timer to David Pasternak on the circle. We just don't have that offensive, you know, talent and, and creativity that we did previously. I mean, that's what happens when you lose your top two centermen. It's going to happen. Um, but as Burge and I had also said before the season, going into the season, you know, the Bruins' strengths have always been on the blue line and in net, and that hasn't changed this year. So um, I really liked what Lucic said. I think Lucic, actually, when I watched that video, that guy's got a future in, in broadcasting, I think, as an analyst, because he really seems like a, a hockey nerd. Like he, he seems like the guy that would know stats off the top of his head, which is really funny because when you think of like stereotypical Milan Lucic, you think of like knuckle dragging Neanderthal, (laughs) Um, but this guy is actually pretty well put together and pretty smart. And I really enjoyed that interview. Have you had a chance to watch it yet? I I didn't see his interview, um, but based on what, what you're telling me, I I think Mm -hmm. that, that he, he's got what the identity of this team is down like Pat, like they've always been defense goaltending first going back to even when Claude Julien was the coach here it's always been that kind of style that they've 
wanted to play where they build from the net out, which is why they've always had this consistent string of elite goaltending going back to the mid two thousands when Tim Thomas emerged, like from that point forward, this team has always had an elite goalie or now in this case, they have two elite goalies. And if they continue to, to be able to finish the chances that they had and, and make the most of what they're, they're generating on the offensive side, they're going to have success. And we've seen it through the first, you know, 13 games of the season, 14 games of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, it seems to be the, 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 the recipe for success for this team. And that's going to be, you know, get one early. Maybe if you can extend the lead other than that, just kind of play your game, clog it up, frustrate your opposition until they start taking risks to generate offense and then punch them again in the mouth and transition when they overextend themselves. And, yeah, and it's, it's it's nice to actually see the kids that are playing make the most mm-hmm. of their opportunities too. We've 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 gone through this before with the Bruins where they've had these point. highly touted highly touted prospects. You know, I, I look back to Jacob first back at Carlson. You look back to Jack Stanika, Peter Shalarik. You got all these guys that were touted to be the next thing for this team, and they all fizzled out and they never did anything. It's nice to actually have a change where you have guys like Mason Lorai, Matty Patra, Johnny Beecher, Jake Yakublako. These guys stepping in and filling roles for this team effectively it's it's a nice change and it's it couldn't have come at a better time for for the for the Bruins yeah man you, you you hit the nail on the head there like it was time for transition and historically I think if we had like say Peter Shirelli still in the front office or Claude Julien behind the bench or even hell Bruce Cassidy behind the bench um these kids wouldn't have been given the opportunity that they've had and that they've grabbed onto and run with you know Shirelli would have gone out and grabbed another for um you know one million dollar veterans that are over the hill and force them into a fourth line role just because it's it's like a binky it's like that security blanket of having that veteran presence yeah you know rookies are a risk and a lot of coaches don't know how to work with the youth so no yeah absolutely and that's why you know back when they fired bruce cassidy as angry as i was when it came out that jim montgomery was going to be a guy that was going to be in serious consideration for this job i was like he's my number one choice Absolutely. He did a great job down in Dallas before he had his personal issues, cleaned up his cleaned up his personal issues, and he's still the same kind of coach. And this just goes to show, again, I don't want to bash the fan base, but I mean, after last year's playoffs, you had people calling for his head after one year. Like, this guy is a really good coach, and he's proving it. Yeah, I mean, maybe he made a few mistakes, you know, in the playoffs that, you know, he's not he's not an experienced playoff coach. But like, dude understand that this guy is really, really good for the type of team that the Bruins have right now. And he is going to continue to be, I mean, I, the, the fans that were calling for his head last year, just, just irked me. It's like, dude, like you're not going to yeah. fire this guy after that regular season he had last right. year because of a couple of mistakes he made, which he owned at the end, you know, the postseason press conferences, mm-hmm. he owned all of it. And look at what they're doing now. I, I see. I agree with you. 95% of what you just said. I do take, a slight uh I, I don't like the fact that Jim Montgomery came out in the postseason availability and said that's up to goalie Bob. You'll have to talk to goalie Bob that's about the way that the goalies were handled. And that may be true. That may be how they delegate things. But when you are the head coach of an NHL team, you know, the responsibility, the mantle of responsibility falls with the head coach. And it doesn't matter if one of your guys did it you are responsible for that. You delegated that to him. So mm-hmm. therefore it's your fault. Um, but everything else he took full responsibility for. Um, 
and I 100% agree with you. And even if even if he came out and said this coach fucked up, this coach fucked up, these players fucked up, you know, whatever. After one season, there's not enough of a runway there for me to say this guy's done, he's cooked. I think he did a very poor job coaching in that playoff series. I think that's a very simple and and very fair conclusion to reach from anybody that's watched this team. But to pretend like it was an easy coaching process is is incredibly short-sighted. I mean, everybody's condemning him for saying, oh, you know, the room coaches itself, and he's laughing about it. Like, But when you do, do have Patrice Bergeron in the room, like how are you going to go in there and say, Patrice, shut the fuck up. I need to talk right now. Like that guy has a a, a, a resume and a pedigree that speaks for itself. And honestly, if you were in that room, if you're an NHL player, would you respect a guy in his fifties and in his early sixties wearing a suit telling you what to do over Patrice Bergeron, who's been in the trenches, you know, been in the battles, everything like that, telling you what to do, wearing the same jersey, getting hit by the same guys, you know, backing you up. You're gonna listen to what Patrice says, and that's gonna carry more weight than what Jim Montgomery says. So I think Jimmy maybe had, you know, a little bit more of like a buddy buddy relationship with the media members and he would try to have a few laughs when he's trying to break things down um, which is a good thing for coaches to have I like a personable coach but um, I think some of the media members ran with that and then fans that don't have the ability to critically think kind of turn that into something it wasn't coaches and the leadership in the room need to be on the same page for an operation to work and there could be disagreements but if those disagreements are going to happen they're not going to happen in front of the rest of the team they're going to happen in in a captain's meeting or something like that and they're going to hash it out and they're going to move forward united and that's that's the way the Mm -hmm. operation needs to work and it's you know it seems like it's working this year with with brad and pasta and mcavoy i mean through the early start i mean they all seem kind of on the same page and yeah, you're going to listen to the guy who's been playing for 20 years over the coach who, who's coached in the NHL for what a grand total of three years, maybe as a head coach before he yeah. had his issue in Dallas. Like, exactly. And you know, it's working. Yeah, you can. You know, we can disagree a little bit on as to you know what happened last playoffs. We don't need to get into that. But mm-hmm. you know, the fans calling for his head last year just rubbed me the wrong way and i do agree with you on the comment about goalie bob yeah he should have owned it that's his operation he needs to own it goalie bob's been there a lot longer than jim montgomery has so i can understand why maybe he deflected that a little bit but at the end of the day it's his it's his operation yeah absolutely um but yeah i think i think that the the management and, and coaching team that we have in place you know look at all the other teams in the nhl right now right who has a better situation that you would like to have here, you know, copy pasted in Boston? I can't think of a, a better situation. Um, you know, maybe over in Colorado, they've got a good thing going on with Bednar and Sakic in the front office. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want anywhere else. You know, as as weird as people are like, oh, Don Sweeney sucks. You can't do it. You can't draft. Da 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 da. You know, this season is kind of a, a bit of a pie in the face of those people that are all. Vegas is another one. Vegas is another situation that they, since they've come into the league, they've been competitive the whole time. Yeah, but I don't think that they do a good job. They don't do it the right way in Vegas. And I know that's hard to say when they just want a cup. And I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, Vegas is the model franchise. And I don't think that is the case because I think that they prioritize winning more than having a good culture. And that's great for the fans that only care about winning. Like they just got a cup that obviously the results speak for themselves. But, you know, there's no semblance of 
pride or loyalty towards the logo in the front or any of the um you know rewards or anything like that for the players themselves players are simply assets to the vegas golden knights i think that comes with being a new a newer team too i mean they don't they don't have the hundred years the bruins have had to establish that kind of that history that culture that style hockey that they play vegas is a little bit of a newer team this is their newer model of how they're trying to do things Mm -hmm. and so I, i give them the benefit of the doubt there but i I mean, they had a couple of guys that that won the cup last year that had been there since the start. Mm-hmm. You, know, you had Riley Smith, Jonathan Marceau, William Carlson. All those guys had been there from the start. Now, I know Riley Smith has since been traded, but those guys have been there the whole way. And it's a little bit different when you start having the ability to insert your homegrown talent into you know, your culture in your NHL roster, which they, they really haven't gotten there with that yet because a lot of the guys they had are guys that they've either signed or built through the expansion draft, you know, six years ago. So we'll see, we'll see what happens, you know, with them in the next decade. If, if yeah. Changes. I mean, it, it almost feels like the Vegas golden Knights are like run by somebody on a sim league, like a sim, like EHM or FHM. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they hear the big golden toy that's out there and available in the marketplace. And they're like, I'm going to go fucking get that. It's great. I'm going to go get, I'm going to go get Mark stone. I'm going to go get Jack Eichel. I'm going to go and do these things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go sign Petrangelo. Uh, I don't care how many first round picks or how many draft picks that I made that I have to trade for these people. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go do it because I can. And Oh, all those players that have already invested and went on a cup run with me. We didn't win, but you know, all of our fans, favorite player, our goalie, Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, whatever we can get rid of him. He costs too much. Um, You know uh, what's his name? The other goalie, this Robin Leonard. Oh yeah, he's hurt. Let's just get rid of him. Make him go to the glue factory. Yeah, he owes a bunch of million dollars for an illegal snake farming thing anyway. So, um, <laughs> whatever. We don't we don't associate with him. There's like no degree of support or like, you know, camaraderie or loyalty with that team. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's the right way of doing things. But what can I say? They won a cup, like I said, and uh, results speak for themselves. It's a, it's a business over there, and nothing more, nothing less. Um. Let's talk about that Islanders game. So, yeah, first time two pad stack. We're in the house uh, together for a game. Um, I drove down, uh, parked in Constitution, met up with Burge. You know how hard it was for us to try to find a fucking place to get a few brewskis and a bite before that game? Dude, we're it walking around for like 15 minutes, 20 minutes trying to find ridiculous. a good place. Absolutely ridiculous. Like we were trying to go to night shift. We said we would be at night shift. We wanted to grab a few brews, grab some food. Their their pizzas are very good, by the way. Their beers are, are good, not great, but but good mm-hmm. for the record. Um we can we can go on a full breakdown later on. But uh um Purge, what did you run into when we walked in there trying to make a spot for us or anything? So there was over an hour wait for a table, and it was pretty full in there, so that was understandable. Like whatever i get it and this and is like, five o'clock this is two yeah. hours before game time like we're booked up because of the game tonight with reservations we're like well what happens if like your reservations just don't show up you're just going to lose out on somebody who's actually here right with wallet in hand ready to you know pay for your services and your food and your beers like and then they had like half the brewery was set up and it was like a private event and it was empty there was like four people in the private event area and it was like half the bar was 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 reserved for that. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. I found a little black table to stand at while I waited for you to, 
you know, for us to decide whether we were going to stick it out or not. And I was getting eyeballed the whole time by a couple of people that were like, I think I, they were standing there and they approached the bar to go get their their beer and I might have swiped it. And I was like, I'm not we shouldn't deal with this. This is just gonna be a joke. You know, let's, let's try to find somewhere we can actually like sit down and get comfortable yeah. and 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 all that. And then I think we went to what three, four other bars before we finally settled. Yeah, so we checked out. I forget the other name of the place, but we checked out um, Tavern, Tavern in the Square. Square. They're like, "Oh yeah, it's gonna be a two-hour wait." Uh, I was like, "You can go fly a kite, dude. I'm not doing." While there were open tables in the restaurant, yes, like it's ridiculous. So we ended up going to the greatest bar, um, which That's is lucky. the name of the bar. If you haven't uh, heard of that, um, it's a good little spot. Traditional um sports fair pub vibes decent prices on beer um food is like honestly what you expect like it's not gonna be anything you're like holy shit this is good but you know to drown your your four goose island ipas for uh food is not too bad um (laughs) prices were really good i think like we both had like three or four beers and a full pizza and, an and look at us if you're on the video like we're not little dudes okay yeah. like we have a we have a, a certain you know father figure that we need to maintain exactly um, <laughs> so we had a full pizza an appetizer three or four beers each and then uh it was like less than 100 bucks it was like with the tip it was like 105 dollars. Like, like that's, that's a good really good deal like that for for two tall boys at the garden, you're paying like forty bucks, forty five bucks. You want to get two for your buddy? There's eighty eight. You just bought your entire fucking dinner and and four drinks at the greatest <laughs> bar for four beers at the garden. Like it was crazy. Um, but yeah, we ended up timing it out perfect. We're walking in. I don't know why there was some sort of line for us to get in. It was the worst I've seen just to get into the barn this year. Actually, in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, get through. Uh, get to our seats right as uh, Todd and Jilly's getting ready to uh, bust out the national anthem. And can I just say how fucking good Todd Angeli is Amazing. at the national anthem, dude? Dude, I hear his voice and I'm instantly like jacked up. I'm like, I'm like, let's go. I'm ready for for a hockey game. Dude can absolutely belt that thing. And he's like the nicest guy too. I've had the opportunity to meet him once at, at a meet and greet. He's like the nicest guy too. And you know, we were talking like he's going to get ready. He's going to sing the national anthem, go out there, crush it, and he's going to go sling beers. Oh yeah, he's gonna go right up to like the AT&T Sports Deck bar or whatever, and uh, just sling suds. Um, but yeah, the, the guy's got the 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 charismatic, you know, way of carrying himself. You know, even even for a heftier dude, like that guy gets out there, and like you just know all those Bostonian ladies, they're into it. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, you, you should follow Todd Angeli instead of Oscar Steen. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I fucking love this guy. He's kind of like he really is like the the successor to Renee Rancourt. And Easily for the yep. the longest time, Renee was synonymous with Bruins hockey, and I, I think you know Todd's kind of slipped right into that that spot, you know, perfectly. And he's he's a big part of the community too. Like I've seen mm-hmm. him go up to the NASCAR race in Loudon, New Hampshire, and he's done the. Uh, the full national anthem thing there with the fist pumps after and you know the whole nascar crowd is like oh you know bruins yeah bruins let's go so um yeah he, he was great um crowd real, was pretty good real quick would, wouldn't it be awesome if renee rancart came back and sang the national anthem for one of the eras nights that would be sweet one just, time i'm afraid he'd have like a heart attack or something <laughs> he might he's a little old <laughs> have i ever talk. told you the story when i met him 
No, go ahead. All right. So story time, everyone. Pull up a chair. Uh, Papa Ace is going to reminisce about the uh, the golden days when he was younger. Um, so I'm 15, 16 years old. Big Bruins fan. Like my eighth grade school photo, I was wearing my Joe Thornton jersey. You can still see it today. Um, anyways, I, I'm in a program called NJROTC, Naval Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps. So well, I was one of those losers in high school that wore the military uniform to school. Um, I was learning a lot about, you know, military training and, you know, uh, training courses along those lines. I got to do some cool shit like uh, um, color guard and I did some mini boot camps and everything like that. Anyway, so we were fortunate enough that Dover High School in New, Dover, New Hampshire, um, the NJROTC program was invited to go and do the color guard for the Boston Bruins. That's right. Um, so I got to go out on the ice, present the colors and everything. Um, but before we did that, like when we were in the bowels of TD Garden, um, Renee Rancourt shows up. It looks like he was running late. His face is all flushed. I don't know if that's from running or the copious amount of alcohol he had before he got there. Um, his nose is red as a fucking clowns and That's he walks awesome. up to me and he can tell like I'm a Bruins guy. Like I'm not wearing it uh, cause I'm in my full uniform, mm. but I was like, Renee Rancourn. He's like, Hey, how's it going kid? Yeah. You're going to make me look good out there. Right. Ah. <laughs> I didn't awesome. even know what the fuck to say. I was like, That's so cool. Um, but he gets out there and he just belts out the national anthem and you know, you're down there and you, you just look around and you see, you know, 17,000 people around you. And I can only imagine how it is for an NHL rookie getting out there who's actually having to play hockey in front of that many people. Like 15, 16 year old me, I'm like, holy. And I'm not supposed to be looking around. Like, I'm supposed yeah. to just be like, eyes straight. But like, I'm like looking around a little bit, my peripheral. I'm like, that was my cathedral at the time, dude. Because like, mm -hmm. I'm a 15, 16 year old diehard Bees fan. Something's never changed. But, you know, I didn't know any better. I didn't have any responsibilities in life. You know, Bruins hockey was life. So I was like in the Mecca of hockey for me. Um, and it was, it was such a great, great experience. And I hope that, that more people get an opportunity to do something like that interaction wise with the Bruins. Um, I actually just signed up my daughter for the Arbella kids captain contest. Nice. Um, so you see that kid that's always on the ice next to the bees during the national anthem. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, hopefully Mimi can win that. I think that would be a lot of fun. Get some tickets for the Loge as well and a free Jersey for her. But uh, yeah, anybody that can do that stuff. It's, it's, it's so cool. And I had a really good time doing it. Um, great, great crowd. Then this is like, fuck, it was in 07, I think. Oh, oh, like right at the beginning of when they got good again yeah yeah when they were on the rise again back when i really hated the montreal canadians mm -hmm. like, i had one of those you know those um those stickers where calvin is pissing on a logo yep yeah on my shitty car that i had at 16 i had cal pissing on the halves logo <laughs> um anyways so tangent over story time's over you can pull your seat away um grandpa's done um but uh yeah the islanders game was a lot of fun we uh were able to see some good hockey bruins like they just put a fire blanket over the islanders that game mm -hmm. and i know the islanders are not exactly a um incredibly creative or compelling offensive team anyway but um it was it was good to see them basically just take control of that game and, and put it away easily what was your uh your kind of takeaway from the overall hockey side of that night 
Yeah, I thought I, I'll echo what you said. I mean, there was a period of time I think that the Islanders had tied the game in the third period, two-two, and then the Bruins, I think, really quickly after the game was tied, scored to take the lead again, and then they didn't look back after that. The third period was definitely entertaining. We were on the side of Sorokin, so for the Islanders, so we saw those three third period goals, the empty netter, the hat trick for for Charlie Coyle was was awesome to see. I think it was his first career hat trick. So that was good. And uh, let's just talk about Pasternak on that empty net goal, setting his buddy up. Pasternak usually likes to score those goals, the empty net to pad his stats, but he put one right up for Charlie Coyle to just tap it in to give him his first career hat trick. So that was an awesome, awesome moment to be in the building for. We could have tried to throw our hats, but let's be honest. They would have never made the ice. <laughs> yeah, so with our new we were arms. we were row fourteen and three hundred eight, so we were up there um, with with some of the gems of the crowd. And and I I want to pivot here real quick, Burge, on the whole note of what Pasta did there. You know, you go back a few weeks and you've got fucking whatever his name is. Um, God, why can't I remember his name? Uh, radio guy Felger. Felger's out here like. Oh, why are we always giving David Pasternak empty net goals? Oh, yeah, we're just trying to inflate his numbers. He's going to be the 60 goal scorer. He's going to get all of the empty net goals. He's an empty net merchant. Blah, 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 blah. And it goes right back to that conversation I was talking to you about with Vegas. You know, there's a different culture here in Boston. And everyone wants to work for each other, not just themselves. And they're always going to look to make that extra pass to give somebody else their day. Charlie Coyle's never had a hat trick in his NHL career. David Pasternak's had like eight hat tricks in one season. Mm-hmm. Like David Pasternak is going to give that puck to Charlie Coyle a hundred times out mm-hmm. of a hundred times. You saw him waving him off before Coyle made number one, the right play because Coyle had a guy on him and pasta didn't. So Coyle did the right thing and made the right play when he could have been selfish and went for the hat trick. So he easily makes the pass over to a wide-open David Pasternak who has a wide-open empty net. And what does David Pasternak do? He stops. He waits for Coyle to get separation on his man, and then he sends it right to the front for a tap-in for the hat trick for Coyle. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Pasternak heard Felger. <laughs> yeah he heard the um, noise no i'm just kidding uh no it, it was it was great to be in the building for that and the, you know for me to pivot away from that uh the last like three bruins games i went to swayman was in net, and i didn't get to see omar so it was really nice to actually get to see linus in person play and i thought he had a really good game in this one i didn't think he you know as advertised we'll just we'll, we'll just say that as advertised it was awesome to actually get to see him uh live and in person Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough to see both goaltenders play uh, already this year. Um, I mean, you can't go wrong with either one of them, right? We've got two elite goaltenders here in Boston and, and I understand we've had this conversation on the pod many times, you know, when you have a wealth of one resource, maybe it makes sense to, you know, invest in other ones rather than, uh, you know, continuing that. But um, we've also said it's not the time to talk about that, but there's nothing wrong with suggesting it or having a conversation around it. Yes. But, you know, it's not going to happen right now. No. And don't gonna... don't shit talk people for talking about it either. Like somebody's not dumb or idiotic or whatever term you want to use. It's probably not politically correct. Um, 
I love that all... conversation. I yeah, love it. dude. Like we're all on social media for a reason to have conversations and people are entitled to their opinions. Um, don't go overboard. Don't, don't, you know, personally attack somebody just because they say something that you disagree with. That's ridiculous. And, and let's be honest. It's an appropriate conversation to be having. That's an appropriate topic to have about this team. Yes. It's not the time. I think we're in agreement on that hundred percent for them to actually make a move, but to, to sit there and bash somebody for, for actually suggesting a trade. And let's be honest, the trade that was suggested maybe was one that ooh, we're probably all like, now nah, we need more, but like at the same time, don't sit here and, 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 and tell me that having a conversation about trading one of these goalies isn't something that, that is it's blasphemy. If you, if you even bring it up, like it's not, yeah, there's a bromance between these two guys. How dare you talk about breaking up these two because they love each other. They hug each other after every win and, you know, they smile. They're, 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 they're like buddy, buddy. Like, no, like it's a business. Like a conversation like this is something that absolutely should be discussed. We're in agreement. They should not make any kind of move in season because they're not going to get appropriate value for, for one of their goalies. It's just not going to happen. And let's, let's, let's have a real conversation about it in the off season. If you mm -hmm. want to have hypothetical conversations, that's what it's all about. Talking transactions and trades and stuff. That's why, you know, we'll get into it a little bit later, but like, that's why you and I love doing sim leagues. Like you mm -hmm. can have these fun conversations and trading is the best part about, about those sim leagues. And yeah. let's have the conversation. Let's have some fun with it. Let's not go overboard and start chastising somebody because they suggested a trade that you don't like. Absolutely. And, agree. And rant. And rant. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was great to see both goaltenders play already this year. Uh, Linus played well in that game against the Islanders. Um, Swayman gets the nod against the Montreal Canadiens. Um, Bruins end up falling in overtime in that game uh, against the Bleu Blanc et Rouge. Um, Toyota seats. What are your What are your takeaways? I think they deserve to lose the game. I didn't think that they. I think they got outworked pretty much for sixty minutes in this one. You can argue, you can say the refs were, you know, typical Montreal. I know you're going to go that route when we talked, we talked, you know, during the game that, you know, you weren't happy with it. I mean, the calls were questionable both ways. They were just bad. They I'm not, bad I'm not blaming the stripes for the result. Uh, let's, let's make that abundantly clear. Um, I, I, I don't, I try not to do that unless it's egregious like that Detroit game was where I did say that. Um, but, you know, and I said this on Twitter, when, the guy with a very clear French Canadian accent goes and makes the call to wipe off a, a goaltender interference call uh, goal um, that wasn't even near where he got interfered with. Uh, I was like, oh, there's a little, little, a uh, little sus. Let's, let's talk about that. So that was a big play in the game. That was a big, was. That, took a, that took away the tying goal. Um, I want to say it was in the third. Was it in the third or was it in the second? I can't remember if it was the second it was or in the third. Period. It was in the third period. So that was a big play. By the nature of the rule, they called it correctly. You can get upset about the the result of it. Steen cut cut the corner close. He bumped into the goalie enough to make enough contact that the stick went his stick flipped over because he clipped the butt end of his stick and his stick flipped over. Yeah, they're gonna call that every time. And we can argue about you know whether it should have been don't. that way. They don't call it every time. That's the they, thing. They they're very inconsistent with with how they 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 do goaltender interference and i don't think the montreal thing played into this at all you can you can argue that 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 was the case but it was goaltender interference by the way the, the rule is written the rule is done because it really had no impact on the puck going in the net the puck went in right. the net on the other side of of Montreal. exactly you went in the net on the other side and it was a redirect 
So it's not like it really truly impacted the play. But this just goes back to everything when it comes to the video review in the NHL. We talk, we, we've got into the offside thing here on the two ped stack podcast. This is the same thing. It needs to be reworked because you want to see a perfectly good hockey play taken off the board because of a technicality. You're getting into NBA NFL territory with that. And that's something I do not want to see the NHL yeah. become. Like if if the if the player makes contact with the goaltender and bumps his blocker and then the puck goes where his blocker was supposed to be wipe that off the board that's goaltender interference that's the intention of the rule if a skater skates into a goalie and bumps him and moves him slightly out of position and he's not able to recover in his positioning wipe that goal off the board that's the intention of the rule but for incidental contact that happens a second and a half before a puck goes in that he still had a chance to reset and make the save on. I wouldn't argue he had a chance to reset. I mean, that was a bang, bang. He, he got tipped, he got bumped and the puck was going right by him immediately after split second. It's slow motion. It may look like he could have reset, but in real time, no, but, but he didn't have to, he was already in position. His positioning didn't change. He, he his, his body moved. His body. Well, you can argue whether his, or not his arm added. did not the other arm, his whole shoulder stayed. But he throws the goalie off balance. I'm not sitting here trying to justify it, but I'm saying that's what they're seeing. That's what they're seeing when they make a decision like this. And if this had happened on the other end, the other end of the ice, I'd be screaming for the call. I would be screaming for them to wipe that off the board because, yeah, it looks like he was bumped and his he definitely showed that arm moved. And that whole if that arm moves and it can create a little bit of a chain reaction, even and it all takes is something really slight. To, to, to move it does at the end mm-hmm. of the day on oh, this yeah. specific, on, on this specific play does it change the result of the play my opinion it doesn't if the puck's going in the net regardless so by the nature of the rule that they, they got it right the rule sucks the rule sucks just like the offsides thing sucks they need to fix it yeah yeah that's uh, that's the thing with the goalie interference right now is that no one seems to under and not just fans like it seems like no officials mm-hmm. don't really seem to understand what it is there's no consistency in it it's really just like unless it's egregious and obvious it just seems like it's a roll of the dice whether it counts or not and it's not just us saying this it's not just fans saying this like you've got high-end nhl analysts and media members that are like i honestly don't know what's gonna happen here like i'll, I I'll no equate idea. it to i'll equate it to the catch in the nfl it's the same thing nobody knows what a catch is in the nfl Sometimes it's a catch. Sometimes it's not. It's the same thing. And it's made its way into the NHL. And I hate that. I hate that that ambiguous, you know what I'm starting to say? The ambiguous, ambiguous. There we go. Yes. I couldn't say it for crying out loud, but yeah, that, that, that has made its way into the league and it causes referees to make judgment calls and Toronto to make judgment calls. And when you make a, when you involve a judgment call, it's never going to be hundred percent of the time consistent. So one person is going to view it one way. Another person is going to view it another way. You're going to have the inconsistency. Change it, NHL. Change it, please. And if while we're yelling at rules, if we're going to continue to allow the officials to have the ability to, you know, use their best judgment or assess situationally to issue penalties, I fucking hate the puck out of glass penalty. I can't <laughs> fucking stand it. You know, I, I understand the, once again, the original intent for this rule is that players were getting hemmed in and they didn't want to ice it. So what's the easiest answer? Oh, you dump the puck out of play. Oh, you know, we're going to give a, you know, two minute delay of game penalty for that. 
Um, so you are discouraged to do that. Now, nobody does it because nobody wants to take a penalty. Mission accomplished, everyone. Mission accomplished. But now completely innocent plays where these players are just trying to make a simple play up the boards. Um, and it goes out accidentally. They're resulting in you know, a lot of... And, and just think of it from this way. When you are hemmed in already on the PK, those defenders are already under duress and under more pressure. And that's when the vast majority of these penalties occurs to, to make it even a five on three power play. Like it's, it's so fucking frustrating. Like that wasn't the intent of the rule and everyone just seems to be okay with it as another way to create more power plays. And I, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Um, I think that the, the official should be able to look at it and say, he did that on purpose or that was incidental. And that that's not a penalty. What do you uh, think? I will. I, I love the penalty. I'm on the complete opposite end of the spectrum with you. And the intent of it was, again, if a team's hummed in and a player turns around and uncontrollably hucks it up the boards and misses the glass, the team that was putting the pressure on deserves to be rewarded for that, that mistake. So I will, I will agree with you that the penalty needs to be amended in some, some way. I don't really have a way to a solution to it. That there needs to be a way that, you know, the puck rolls up on edge on a guy's stick and it sails on him when he didn't mean to have it sail on him. When there's nobody around him, fine, we can eliminate that. But the nature of the rule, I'm all, dude, I have debates with my one of my good friends. I'll shout out my buddy Ryan. Him and I go back and forth on this. He hates it. I love it. And I will always say they should know better. They are professionals. They should be able to control that puck. Yeah, the occasional... The occasional problem where the puck's on edge and they didn't realize it was on edge and the puck sails on them. Fine. Yeah, that's going to happen. But at the end of the day, I want that rule to stick around because again, it rewards a, a team in its, you know, in its uh, intent, the, it rewards the pressuring team. Hmm. For yeah, I hear what you're it. saying. And, and I mean, the league does want goals are fun and power mm -hmm. plays create goals, but I enjoy watching two teams go at each other when they are fully healthy and they're playing each other five on five. I don't like special teams for the sake of special teams. I want to see both of these teams have a good chance at, mm -hmm. at you know, winning a game. And some of these things that they've created rules wise to fabricate power plays, to, to create special teams moments. So players like Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid and all these other high scoring players can just continue to be put up on their pedestal. I don't, I don't like it. It's, it's, it's not what hockey is supposed to be all about. And I'm not implying that Connor McDavid is a power play, you know, merchant. That's Leon Dreisaitl, not McDavid. Possibly um, not kind of is too. Or he yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but he's gotten a lot better five yeah. on five at the beginning of his career. He definitely was definitely, uh, you know, one of those power play um, merchants. But, you know, it, it, it's just not what I like to see. Um, so I am always in favor of less penalties. Um, you know, you go back and you think about one of the best games in Bruins playoff history. Boston, Tampa Bay, I game was there. seven. No penalties were called. Mm -hmm. One to nothing win with like minutes left in the third period off a beautiful David Krejci pass. Um, to Nathan Horton, like best game I've that, ever been to. That's hockey, man. I I don't want 18 penalties a game. I don't want to see it. I want to have a nice five on five game. And no, I'm not saying don't call penalties because we need to have the discipline there in case people go over the line. Um, 
but I just I don't I don't I don't care for it. Unfortunately, when after the first lockout, when they changed a bunch of the rules, they wanted they the league feeds off the scoring. They want the yep. scoring, and you know as goalies we hate that. We like the the two one three two kind of games, and the NHL wants more scoring to market their players, which they still do a shitty job of, by the way. Mm-hmm. But the little ticky tack hooks, the little ticky tack hooks, the little stick work. Remember back in like the the nineties oh, and stuff, dude. like you could actually hook and haul. You, yeah, you would have to haul skiing. somebody down. You'd have to haul yeah. somebody down to get a hooking penalty. Now, if you get the stick in the wrong place, even if it hardly impacts the play, they're going to call it every time. They're gonna the call fucking it every time. slashing calls that happen all the time where mm-hmm. it's just a result of the player not holding on to his stick. Yes. It's a yes. simple stick check. And that guy drops his stick because he knows, oh, it's a penalty every time. But I also don't like it being automatically a penalty if the stick breaks. Like, the the construction of a stick, the quality of the stick, yeah. is not it's not the the fault of the player. Like, yeah, you know, fucking slashing calls drive me nuts. In the <laughs> well, hands, yes, call them. How about how about the high stick that Pasternak got in this Montreal game? What do you think of that, that call? Was a follow through. That was a fucking follow through. It shouldn't have been a penalty either. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. I don't understand how they they they. They were able to call that and maybe, and I'm not saying, I'm not going to sit here and advocate for more video review because I just spent 10 minutes bashing it, <laughs> but like something like that, like a Toronto or, or somebody like that should be able to make the quick call down saying, Hey, that wasn't a, that wasn't an, put an official in the stands. Yeah. Put him up in this press level. Give him the same fucking headset that the video coaches have. It's easy enough for him to say, yo boys, that was, that was actually follow through. Um, You don't want to call that. Yeah. Let's wipe that one off the eye in the sky. I hear them talk about that all the time. Felger. Felger wants it. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Never mind. I don't want it anymore. No, I'm just saying, I, I don't want them to take the entire human element out of it because it goes both ways. It usually, usually works its way out, but like, something like that where you know you you have a clear definition as to what a follow-through is that's an mm-hmm. easy one that's an easy one to take off and you can't you can't start nitpicking the little hooking calls or the the trips that may may have gotten the puck first and caused a trip like that element needs to remain in the game agreed, like, agreed. The, the obvious stuff get rid of it well what about this what about the whole um embellishment penalty what are your thoughts on that because the only time i ever see it called is in a matching situation and i don't think that truly um you know discourages the behavior so my opinion is that if the official sees something that they deem worthy of an embellishment penalty that implies that the person that did the infraction on the other side of it didn't actually do it and it was you know embellished upon i don't want that guy that did the hooking or the slashing or the high stick or whatever to go to the box if you're going to deem it necessary to give the guy an embellishment send the embellisher not the other guy, if that's the scenario. No, I, I, I'll i push back a little bit because oftentimes you will get somebody that maybe does get the little hook that's an infraction in today's NHL, and you see the guy dive. That That's a situation where you need to take both. But there are situations in games where players will try to sell a call that's not a call. I mean, I'm guilty of it in my men's league. I'm a, I'm a goalie. If I feel somebody touch me, I'm wiping out trying to draw the penalty. That's a classic case of an embellishment right there. Yeah, he bumped me. It's not a penalty, but if I go down and I sell it, they're going to call it every time. So, so when's like the that, last time you saw it? Just it, embellishment. It never. It's never. They right. don't. They don't call it enough. The, right. the, the league doesn't match up these penalties enough, in my opinion. Yeah. So that even even the intent as to what you're you're describing, you don't like. They don't call it. They don't call it enough. They put it in. Yeah. I hate seeing the flopping. I hate seeing the diving and the selling of yeah. calls. Again, you're talking about becoming the NBA if you see that. We don't mm-hmm. want that. 
Um, all right, so we've got, we've got another tangent here. Um, <laughs> finish up the Montreal game. Uh, Bruins end up falling short. Uh, I fucking loved, and I know I've said this to you before. I love it when players play with a little bit of fire, a little bit of love for the the logo on the center of their chest. I think you probably thought it was a little clownish, but Jeremy Swayman standing up after that scrum with Brendan Gallagher and obviously challenging Sam Montembeau on the other side of the ice. Um, that that brings me from six to midnight every time. Like <laughs> I love that shit so much. Um, what were your thoughts on the scrum there? I, I love Swayman defending his crease there. You know, when Gallagher came crashing in and I forget who the defenseman was, was on top of him. And, and Swayman started face washing Gallagher while he was in the crease. And Gallagher ends up getting the helmet off his head. Don't even get me started on that. I was going back and forth with people on that. that people saying that should have been a penalty on Gallagher. I'm like, Swayman initiated that. Yeah, Gallagher came crashing into him. But Swayman's sitting there with his blocker glove trying trying to rip Gallagher's helmet off. So good good no call on that. That's just a good scrum. I, I love it. I love seeing him get into that and the goalies do it. We saw Tuka do it a bunch when he was here. And that kind of stuff is like, yeah, this is my net. Get the hell out of here. I can, I can stand up for myself. And then obviously all hell breaks loose because as soon as you involve a goalie, everybody comes crashing in, starts, starts grabbing a guy. And, yep. you know, I would have loved what Swayman did there. I would have absolutely loved it. If Montebo had started skating up the ice, maybe to the blue line. And he's like, he's sitting there, like maybe he's looking like he's going to come down and challenge him. And he's just trying to, you know, act tough. And Swayman's like, what do you, goes out there and throws his arms like, okay, let's go come down here. Yeah. But like just doing that in that situation, I was like, Mm, is clearly not trying to come in and challenge you. They're, they're, it's 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 one of those things where, oh, in today's NHL, where you see these scrums happen for little minor things, we'll call it. You remember back in the day when, you know, maybe back I'm dating myself into the late '90s and early 2000s when something like a scrum like this would happen, it would be for a real good reason. It wouldn't just be pushing and shoving. It wouldn't just be like they end up dropping the gloves and start fighting. You don't see that nowadays because obviously the league is trying to get rid of the fighting, but. Yeah. If again, if if Montebo had come down the ice, I, I I look at it as kind of a similar situation when when Mark Andre Fleury and Jordan Bennington had their thing. When Jordan Bennington was out fighting around, you know, being the clown that he is, and Mark Andre Fleury comes down the ice and says, "Let's go, let's go," and the refs yeah. obviously broke it up. But like that would be a situation where I'd be like, "I'd love that." I'd be like, "Okay, come come at me. You want to come at me? Come at me." Kind of standing up and doing that. It's 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 a little tauntish for me, and he, I love it. I, I love it. it. If, if if it wasn't Montreal, I'd probably be sitting here like this is this is kind of unnecessary. But it's Montreal. Bring some fire back into that rivalry. That's great. I love that. I love that if, if that's what it's going to be. Yeah. But I would have loved to have seen it if Montembeau was actually going to do something about it, which obviously he wasn't going to, and the rest weren't going to let it happen regardless. Yeah. I, uh, I don't like Montembeau there. If I saw the goalie on the other side of the ice getting into it with You're at least team, coming up. You're at least coming I'm coming up. up. I'm skating down there. If you want to fuck with anybody, you can fuck with me because my guys aren't supposed to fuck with you. I'm the only guy that can fuck with you. And I'm going to mm -hmm. fuck with you if you're fucking with my guys. Like, that's my mentality as a goaltender. And I think that's pretty common. Not for Samuel Montembeau. If Carey Price, Price was still there, he would have been down there. He would have done it. He would have done it. Absolutely. I fucking Absolutely. loved Carey Price. I know that's like weird to say as a Bruins guy. Very good. Carey Price was everything you want in a starting goaltender. Everything. That guy, I would have. I would have given so much to have Carey Price in a Bruins uniform, um, even over Tuka Rask, yeah, you uh, over Tim Thomas. I would have had him over both of those guys, but um, I fucking loved Carey Price. Um, yeah, so Mark Andre Fleury thought, would have challenged him. Mark Andre Fleury, if he saw him stand yeah, up like dude. that, 
that that would have been enough to incite a reaction mm-hmm. from from mm-hmm. a majority of goalies. If you see Swayman out there doing that, acting tough, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get a reaction. And like if yeah. I saw somebody do that, I'd be skating down the ice. Like, I think okay, any go. goalie that are in their 30s would do that because that's like the era that we grew up in, and that mm-hmm. was the way that we conduct ourselves. Um, obviously, Flurry's in his 30s. And, oh, fuck, he might be in his 40s now. I don't know. He's Almost like 40. that that previous generation of goaltender. Um, you know, Tim Thomas was in that era. Mike Smith, Duke Cam Talbot, like, those guys. Yeah, dude. Like they grew up watching, you know, goalies like uh Hexel. um yep, yeah, and uh who the fuck is the why can't I remember? Um yeah, and and uh fuck with the goalie that Felix Potvin yeah. also got into it. <laughs> um that was a great goalie. Yeah, fight. dude, it was great, dude. I loved it so much. Um, like we saw this happen and that was just something that goalies do. And I don't know, maybe just and when, and when that happened back then, don't. when that happened back then, there was a re- real reason for it. Mm. Like there was everybody on the ice was fighting. Hextall was out getting into it with a player and yeah, like him, Garth Snow, Felix Potvin going down. All Love right, it. we're going to fight. We're going to fight. Let's go. Going to yep. hold my ground. Ray Emery is another good one. All right. Ray Emery, great. dude. Yeah, right. Yeah. That was a. There's been some great goalie fights, and yeah, it would have been great to see one in a Montreal game because you talk about bringing a rivalry back. That's a way to do it. Yeah. Um. Really weird to see Montreal for that fan base, um, treating an overtime win like they won the Stanley Cup. Um. They're out there Saturday night in Montreal after an overtime winner against the Boston Bruins, and they are just dancing and and singing in the streets, and they have one guy that's being, you know crowd surfing above them i'm like guys like it's a it's a regular season game like come on calm down it's okay tell me your team tell me your team has sucked for a while without telling me yeah no shit right um anyways uh bruins fall short in that game um let's look at the week ahead it's a light week for the boston bruins they are going to be on the road the day of episode release so on tuesday the 14th Bruins are paying the Buffalo Sabres a visit. And the Sabres have been playing better of late. Um, It's a young, strong team. So it'll be interesting to see how they do. Uh, Hearing rumors that Patrick Kane might be signing a two-year deal with the Buffalo Sabres in the uh, next week or so. Um, Has that been reported by any major, like... Reporter, because a lot the one report I saw was from like a Buffalo, like I don't want to say he's like a fan fan guy, but he almost looked. I looked at the account; it looked like it was kind of like a fan account. He had a lot yeah. of followers, but nobody else is actually talking about it as being a possibility. Like in, um, with some a lot of the big names, like uh, um, fucking God, my brain is not working today. Holy shit! Um, it's Monday. Monday. Thirty two thoughts. Uh, Friedman. Uh, and Merrick, and they had come out and said that obviously there's interest from Buffalo in the past. Now, none of the big guys have come out and said, oh, this is happening. But, um, you know, there are some some people that, w- that have connections that are saying it's a distinct possibility. Um, and, you know, it's not, it's not the first time that a no-name person has come out and leaked something from something that they know behind the scenes. I mean, you gotta, you gotta think of, you know, these athletes, they have personal friends and you know uh people that cut their hair and whatever people that interact with them on a regular basis maybe somebody saw some meetings that were having you never know right Mm -hmm. so um i think it makes sense i think buffalo is wanting to build a compelling product to justify their fans the work that they're doing um i think they have probably 
the a good chance of squeezing into a wild card spot and bringing in a um, a skilled player like Patrick Kane will will help with that. Um, it, I do think it makes a lot of sense. So mm-hmm. um, wouldn't surprise me to see that happen. I think it'll be interesting. I honestly think Patrick Kane is washed, and I think he's kind of a piece of shit. So I also don't really like Buffalo, and I'm a okay with him landing there. So I can hate Buffalo more. Let's go join the Buffalo hate train. Love it. Absolutely. Um, and then our good friends, Montreal Canadiens, are right back at it. They're going to be visiting the Garden on Saturday night. So, uh, yeah, right back at it against the Habs. Chance for a little bit of revenge. Um, do you know when Milan Lucic is back? I wanted to say, like, he's, I want to say he's coming up to, like, he was on long term IR, I think, until what, like the 18th or something like that. So, yeah, something like that. He's, 16th, he's been 18th. skating. He's been skating. Uh, on his own with the with the team so i think that uh, i don't want to say like he's going to be activated immediately once once he's able to come off long-term ir but i would say we are nearing the finish line of his stint on ltir how great would it be if he was back on saturday against the habs put them in their place that'd be great let's uh, let's get that old school montreal rivalry going again remember the remember his fights with commissaric back in the day oh my like, god dude that was that, those days i want those i want that rivalry back we are just talking about tonight. Detroit. They have beaten them and beaten them up. <laughs> oh, Jack. Oh, Jack. That's I heard a nice speak. That was weird. I heard a nice tumble and muffin the other on uh, against oh, Montreal. Man. That came out. <laughs> Maybe chuckle to tum- tumbling mu- muffin. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's the week ahead. Uh, we'll be able to break down those games next time we chat. Um, in other news, uh, former NHL goaltender Roman Chukmanic passed away at the age of 52. Um, really sorry to hear that. Condolences mm-hmm. to his family, to his friends, teammates, everything. Um, do you have any memories of Roman uh, as I, an NHL goaltender? I, I remember watching him play with with the Flyers, um, mm-hmm. and he was always a name that I that I that I liked watching. Uh, obviously, we being a Bruins fan and being a kid when he played, there's no real uh significant memory there um mm-hmm. but you know just looking up i obviously with the news of his passing i looked up a little bit about him like there was one season where him and robert ash for the flyers were outstanding mm-hmm. you know they win the williams jennings trophy and i think his career was kind of short uh relatively speaking but i mean he played 212 games and his he, won, he had some Really good numbers, better numbers than I thought when I when I looked this up. A two point oh eight career goals against average in two hundred twelve games. That's really good. Nine point nine, almost a ninety two percent save percentage across his career too. So he was really good. Ended up playing over in 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 uh, in Europe to finish out his career. Definitely sad to see that, and was kind of stunned to see it when it came across 52, my, my man. Feed. That's young. That sucks. Way too young. Way too young for a guy. You know. It's 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 sad. So we we definitely send our condolences out to you know his family and, and everything. Definitely tough, tough to see that news come through yesterday. A lot of Flyers fans that I saw that were talking about it kind of alluded to him being the uh the guy that really kind of started using his mask to make saves. Like he was not pulling his glove or his blocker up to protect his face. He would redirect his head and his mask to uh deflect the puck over the net. And a lot of those Flyers fans are like man uh, he was the first goalie that i ever really saw doing that and uh that's kind of cool like it's kind of like how broder had the trapezoid 
that is uh, associated with him because he was mm-hmm. so good at playing the puck. You know, to have a memory, a legacy like that in the NHL of being a goalie that, you know, made a mark on so many Flyers fans of, oh, that, remember when Chuck Manick would make that fucking mask save? So cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. that guy was awesome. Um, you've left your legacy, Chuck Manick, Roman. Um, yeah, it, it sucks to, to lose you already. Um, we're actually close on time already. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about nerdy shit today um sim hockey but we're probably gonna have to keep that for next episode um we won't go on as many tangents next time hopefully (laughs) yeah (laughs) we're all over the place today but that's okay um just talking a little bit of banter here um any closing thoughts on today's episode here burge anything else with oh i know what i want to touch on um brains were fucking hurricanes dude and they can't deal with their own legacy and their own branding and they are like Let's milk this whole Hartford Whalers thing for all that it's worth. And I can't fucking stand it. They just announced that they're bringing the white Whalers jerseys back with Cooperalls on February 10th. Like, guys, if you wanted to stay the Whalers, all you had to do is stay in Hartford. That's all you had to do. Like, Yeah. I love seeing the the logo and the jerseys playing again, but I agree with your sentiment there. Like they've been in Carolina now for almost 20 years, actually almost 30 years. Um, and it's like, dude, embrace yourselves. I, it's, it's great to see the old uniforms. Don't get me wrong. I love that. That logo was an all timer, an all timer, you know, the, the, with the W with the whale tail on top. I, you know, I love it. I love that Jersey reminds me of, you know, as a young kid watching hockey when they were still around. You know, I was really young, but I remember when they moved and, but yeah, dude, just do your own thing. Like that, that, that organization and that fan base is one of the most annoying fan bases in the NHL. Let's be honest. You don't see the Colorado avalanche wearing Nordiques jerseys. They they've done it. They don't do it as often as the Carolina hurricanes are wearing their, their, their whaler jerseys. But again, it's it's one of those things where like it's a nostalgia thing for people that are older that watch the league when these teams existed. So like with Colorado, love seeing them wear the Nordic jerseys once or twice. Like they don't need to, to continue to bring them back. They don't you don't see to... the Winnipeg Jets wearing Atlanta Thrashers jerseys. Well Quebec and Hartford I think are a little bit more storied than the Atlanta Thrashers. Sure. Were, sure. But like if you wanted that branding the, you a better example kept that fucking branding. A better example would have been Arizona Coyotes wearing Winnipeg Jets jerseys, you know, before the Winnipeg Jets came back. Like they don't, you know, I don't think they ever wore that logo and that jersey before Winnipeg came back. And that's why they brought a team back up to Winnipeg because they wanted to have a team there to wear those jerseys. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's stupid. And you don't see the Calgary Flames wearing Atlanta Flames gear. Like you don't see that happening. And although their alternate captain logo is that Atlanta logo, that's a that's a nice subtle, nice a nice subtle inclusion though, right? Yeah, that's subtle, and it it actually brings history to the to the franchise. You don't see them parading around with the with the A with the flames on it, you know, all the time. Yeah, you don't have them grabbing Atlanta's goal song for a night, Brass Bonanza. Yeah, you literally have a millionaire in Hartford that wants to bring an NHL team back Mm -hmm. to Hartford. And yet you've got the old team that said, fuck you, Hartford, we're out just using your shit everywhere. Like it's Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of people that really love the Hartford Whalers branding that are now Boston Bruins fans, even though they hated the Bruins back then. 
Oh yeah. Just by proxy. Now they're Bruins fans. And every time the hurricanes go out there and trot those jerseys out there, those people that were whalers fans that got fucked by the Carmanos family, they fucking hate it. And as, as somebody that now hates the hurricanes, I'm fine with any reason to hate them too. So Mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Anyways, that was my last tangent. Um, So we'll call this the tangent episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have we have a few um, good ones though. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was good. It was fun. Um, Birch, thank you as always for joining me. Um, Absolutely, it's good to uh, be here with y'all. Hopefully, you guys have some uh, fun listening to the, today's episode. We'll be back at it next week, and uh, until then, peace. Go Bruins. <laughs>